0: Hello, this is Dr. Doug Wyatt, and this is the podcast series, Considering Christianity as a Scientist. For those of you that have not had a chance to listen to podcast one through seven, this is podcast number eight, and we continue our discussion where we consider the teachings of Jesus. We start with podcast number eight, discussing the parables, the stories that Jesus taught. Thank you for joining us. I offer these podcasts because I'm a PhD scientist, a geologist and geophysicist, published with patents and a long history of managing major science and engineering research programs. I am a Christian. Many of my friends and acquaintances in science, technology, engineering, and many others I have chatted with on various occasions have discussed their thoughts on Christ and Christianity, a creator God, the Bible and human history, and how often difficult it is to reconcile belief with science. I fully understand and have struggled with this myself. Science and Christian beliefs are often hard to reconcile, particularly in our modern technological world. Yet I know that many of you feel, sense, hear a quiet whisper, a deep sense need for something greater, larger, and more meaningful than ourselves. I want you to consider, and for us to discuss, that this is our Creator God calling to you personally and how to accept this. Therefore, I have been offering this brief series of podcasts as a scientist and as a Christian, and as I mentioned before, we're continuing with podcast number eight, Considering the teachings of Jesus, beginning with a series that discusses his teachings by the use of parables, by stories that convey broad, universal meaning. This series of podcasts on considering Christianity as a scientist was created during the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States and in the world. It is a very strange and stressful time. However, conditions such as we now experience really only affect our bodies, our physical selves. Enough affliction for sure, but our spirits, our souls, our hearts, and minds cannot be touched by a virus. I pray that all of you are well. Biblical scholars who study the teachings of Jesus record a minimum of 39 parables that he told, and some record as many as 70, depending on how they define his statements. A parable is basically a teaching or statement that involves a comparison and whose meaning is not in the words themselves, but in the comparison of the words. And its intent becomes clear depending on its application. This form of dialogue, of teaching, can conceal from one person, but reveal to another person. The parables of Jesus often use things, questions, premises, in a role that everyone listening would have been used to seeing in their everyday life, that all have experienced. These stories may not often have been considered as plain speaking, and maybe even a little enigmatic in the way Jesus was using them. But a parable format of teaching causes people to walk away, to think about what was said. It's one of those things you can't get out of your mind that you sit there and think about and many different concepts will result in your mind from the teaching from a parable type of dialogue. You will understand, you will have an aha moment. It's like, oh, oh, I I know what that means now. It makes people more thoughtful, more thinking, more insightful. It's a way of teaching truth by experience, by causing people to think about the meanings of what was said, often with many various positive, ethical, moral, useful, practical meanings. If you listen to our podcasts number five, six, and seven, we discuss the teaching of Jesus from his Sermon on the Mount dialogue. In the Sermon on the Mount, particularly in podcast number seven, we discussed two parables. They were examples that he used in the Sermon on the Mount. And the two parables, if you listen to podcast number seven, were about the light or a lamp on a stand and about the wise and foolish builders. You probably have heard that story as a child about the people who built their house on sand or the people who built their house on a rock. Of those two parables, please remember that we were using the Sermon on the Mount text from the Gospel of Matthew, writings of Matthew in the New Testament of the Bible. And in Matthew, these two parables are also found Uh, Parable number one, the lamp on the stand, is the light on a stand, is also found in the book of Mark and in the book of Luke. So it covers all three of what are called the synoptic gospels. The wise and foolish builders is not found in the book of Mark. This is not uncommon in the writings of the Bible. They were written by different people at different times who had different experiences with Jesus. So they wrote what they could remember and what they learned at their time with Jesus, wherever Jesus was in the process of his teaching. We are going to continue with those parables that show up in all three texts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we're going to start with a parable that is a very interesting parable and very simple and it's called a new cloth in an old garment. But first, let me set the stage and the scenario a little bit. After Jesus finished his Sermon on the Mount, he and his initial followers began began to descend from the mountain and continue their journeys. It was a very busy time for Jesus, and many things are recorded in the Bible as happening right after the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, many new followers and disciples wanted to join him. His numbers greatly increased, but on his travels, he ran across people who wanted to follow him and who also wanted him to heal them. And his miracles are recorded of him healing a leper. Jesus asked him if he would be clean and the leper said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And he was immediately cured of his leprosy. Then a Roman centurion came to him. He, Jesus had left the Sermon on the Mount and gone to the city of Capernaum, a local city uh, near the Sea of Galilee. He had other disciples and friends there. And a Roman centurion was there. This Roman centurion knew of the teachings and the miracles and healing of Jesus. And the centurion said that my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said, I will go heal him. This is a very interesting story because the centurion said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Jesus was astonished at this. This was an example of such a statement of faith. One of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible. That speaking an action into existence and having it happen is a great statement of faith. And Jesus told him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel of such a great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This statement by Jesus to the centurion and in front of all of his followers that were around him, I'm sure, is also quite remarkable in that it follows up with the concepts of the parables we're going to discuss about the new cloth and the new wineskin, in that Jesus is saying people are going to come to the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about the Jews and the Jewish followers throughout time, traditional things. But he's saying that those people, he does not imply that all of those people, but some of those people will be thrown out into darkness and others will take their place. It's a theme of new. Something new is getting ready to happen. All the old is past. All the old is good. Leading to the new. But something new is getting ready to happen. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed that very hour. In Capernaum was, Jesus, was Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law. And Peter's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, and he touched, Jesus touched her, and the fever left her. She got up and served Jesus and his followers. Jesus was so inundated with people and followers that... He gave orders to his disciples that he wanted to cross the lake, wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee, to get to the other side, presumably just to have a little bit of rest. And then a teacher of the law, the Jewish law, came to him and said, teacher, I will do whatever, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And implying that, okay, you will follow me, but where, where will you go? What will you be used to? And then another disciple said to Jesus, Let me first go and bury my father. A very Jewish traditional thing to do. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. He was implying that following Jesus had a much higher priority than Jewish traditions related to family and death. They crossed the lake, they did it by boat, and a great storm came. Jesus had fallen asleep in the boat. And his disciples were very afraid of the storm. And they, they, they woke him up and said, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. I presume waves were washing over the boat and the boat was filling with water. And Jesus just replied, you have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. Apparently healing and, uh, illnesses and preaching and teaching great truths was something they accepted more easily than Jesus commanding the winds and the waves. And when Jesus was able to command the forces of creation, the forces of earth, they were utterly amazed. Now they were still traveling along the shores of the lake and they were traveling near some hillsides and mountains and there were tombs in these hillsides and mountains. And there were two demon-possessed men in there and they came and to Jesus, and they were very violent with all others around them. But they came to Jesus and said, What do you want us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? These were demons. And they begged Jesus, and Jesus said, Go, and drove them out into a herd of pigs. They actually preferred to be driven into a herd of pigs at Jesus' command. So that was an amazing thing. After that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and they pleaded with him to leave. This this guy had gotten scary. Not only was he a great teacher, a great physician, a great healer, he commanded the forces of nature. He commanded the spiritual world as well. So people began to be afraid of Jesus. His greatness was too much for them to comprehend, and he was scary. Then The story of Jesus after the Sermon on the Mount continues, and it's very interesting. The story of the paralytic comes in here. A man who was paralyzed had friends who brought him to Jesus. I think having friends and the nature of the paralysis of the man impacted Jesus, okay? And Jesus said, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Well, that just got all over the teachers of the law. Nobody but God could forgive sins. And so they accused Jesus of blaspheming. Now he had driven out demons, he had calmed the storm, he was teaching and healing, And yet they took offense at him saying, oh, your sins are forgiven. They had not quite equated Jesus yet with God, with all the authority of God given to him. And then Jesus just asked him, he says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or say, get up and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins He looked at the paralytic and said, Get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. And when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and praised God who had given such authority to men. Well, Jesus went from there and saw Matthew. This is where Matthew, the author of this book in the New Testament, comes into play. Matthew was sitting in a tax collector's booth, a hated position by the Jews working for the Romans. And Jesus said, follow me. And Matthew got up and started following him. And then Jesus went to dinner at Matthew's house. And everybody was saying, he can't eat with Matthew. He's a tax collector. He's a sinner. And Jesus made a statement. And he was telling the Pharisees this. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. All this happened as we get to the discussion of the next set of parables that Jesus taught. Jesus had left the Sermon on the Mount. Many things had happened to him. He had helped many. All those things we just discussed are recorded as events in Jesus' life and among the followers. They're documented by the followers and believed throughout the church. For 2,000 years. If you refer to some of our earlier podcasts, particularly Podcast 4 about the, uh, considering Christianity, you understand how Christianity grew and how all of these stories came to be part of our Christian faith and values. So now we go to the discussion about fasting. A group of his disciples, some of these disciples, had been former disciples of John or may have still been disciples of John the Baptist. And they asked him a question about the Pharisees, who were Jewish religious leaders of the time, fasting. Probably heard in the Sermon on the Mount that a lot of Jewish religious leaders were fasting very publicly in order to be seen. They were doing it for their own glory and not for God's glory. And so the followers of John were asking Jesus a question, and Jesus compared the questions as he started off with, with a bride and bridegroom, but he mentions these first two parables, the parable of the new cloth patch on old cloth and new wine and old wineskins sequentially, one right after the other, one verse, then the next verse, both illustrating the same principle but with various broader meanings, I think. And, and I look forward to us discussing those meanings. I will read to you the beginning verse and then the two parable verses. And I will do that for both Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is... The skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Those words were from the book of Matthew. Now from the book of Mark. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. That is from the book of Mark. Now from the book of Luke. And they said to him, The disciples of John often fast and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. That was from the book of Luke. As scientists evaluating Christianity and the teachings of Jesus, we can't but help ourselves listening to every word and every difference in words, the combined words as phrases, and every difference in those phrases, and then the meaning of the whole story in the context of similarities and differences. We do that in everything that we research or study. We look for the anomalies. There are a few variations in these versions of these two parables, but in general, They are remarkably consistent and remarkably similar. I know that as scientists, many of you teach, or as scientific thinking people, many of you are educators. And the old standard concept of telling your class what you're going to tell them, telling them, and then telling them what you told them, the old rule of threes. I like to look at these three versions, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of the same story as sort of a way of doing exactly that. Jesus's disciples were students. Jesus was teaching them. He was teaching them a higher thought process, a higher level of spirituality, a better path, a true path to God. And so listening to these three writers explain these two very simple parables is very instructive to us. It's possible that these parables are records transmitted from one person to another and that one person remembered them this way, or it's possible that three different people heard these parables and relayed them to the author's. It's possible that the authors of Matthew, Mark, or Luke heard these parables themselves. All of these are viable scenarios. So hearing the consistency and understanding the words is important. It's very valid. Three witnesses, three speakers, three interpretations all saying the same thing. A few minor variations and even the variations themselves help us understand these two parables. But we will discuss these two parables exactly as they are written and see what meaning we can derive from them. First, let's discuss the setting. I see Jesus. Remember, they had just come from the Sermon on the Mount and done, done some traveling, and they were now in a different city, and Jesus was available for people to speak to. The people that were around him were apparently disciples of John the Baptist, disciples of the Pharisees that were there, and the disciples of Jesus himself. So we know besides Jesus, there were at least three different groups of competing educational training. Maybe I better phrase that as potentially competing. The fact that all three were there means that all wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Jesus had that personality, that draw, that physical and spiritual and mental presence that when he was anywhere, people knew it. And so these disciples were there with him. And the disciples asked that question about, well, why do these guys fast and the, your guys don't? And Jesus gave an answer about being the bridegroom. And it's a very valid answer. And we, we, will, we will talk about that a little bit later, but I want to concentrate now on the two parables because they relate to the setting and, and, the, and the answer. First of all, Both of these parables were something that everybody there would have practical, everyday experience with. The cloth that most people were familiar with was a type of homespun cloth. It would shrink. So, every day, people would experience tears, shrinkage of their clothing under various conditions, Everybody had that practical experience. So if you put a piece of brand new cloth, one that had just been woven onto a cloth that had some age to it and some wear to it, number one, they would lo- look the same. I can see and envision people walking around with patches of cloth all over their current garments for where tears and rips had occurred. But I could also see that sewing those new, unshrunken patches of cloth onto a garment that had already shrunken could be a problem. If they put the piece of cloth on their older cloth at the same tension, at the same size as the tear, that new piece of cloth is going to shrink and would pull away, tear away from the older cloth. And when it does tear away, now you have a much worse tear because it continues to rip the garment from its original tear or rip. Looking at the gospel statements of this parable in Mark, for example, Jesus actually comments about the new piece of cloth being torn from a previous garment and putting onto an older garment. Tearing a new piece of cloth from a new garment and putting it onto an old garment. This further explains Jesus's meaning. Jesus is comparing himself and his, new, his teaching to something new. You don't try to fit something new, the teachings that Jesus was giving, into something that previously existed that was an older garment. Jesus is saying that if you do that, if you try to blend the two garments, blend the teaching, then a worse tear will happen to both the new garment and the old garment. In a way, that's common sense. We do that with many other things. In a scientific lab, We often use new tubing, new labware, new electronics, new hardware for a new experiment. We try sometimes not to combine old hardware with new hardware. There are many reasons for that. Failure of one can cause failure of the other. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that his teaching is new And his expectations for those who listen to his teachings, his disciples, is different than those teaching the old story, teaching the old methods, teaching the old facts, teaching the old ways. Simply put, this parable is a common, earthy, practical, relational experience giving an example that everybody would come to understand is, wait, what Jesus is teaching is something new. He does not expect us to put it onto an old garment. The story of the wineskins is exactly the same. You do not put new wine into old wineskins. You run the risk of the old wineskins tearing as the new wine ferments and you lose both the wineskins and the new wine. He's saying almost exactly the same thing in that Jesus's teachings is new wine. But what I like about this is the inference to fermentation and growth, development. Jesus is saying that his teachings is going to become even better, something completely different. It's new wine, and he does not want to put that new wine, his new teachings, into old wineskins. He wants people to drink the new wine that is in the new wineskins, because if you try to mix the two, one or both will fail. In both Luke and Mark, Jesus actually expands on that as is recorded in their Gospels, in that he implies that some will still like the old and some will like the new. And in Luke, he's, he, he mentions something very interesting that no one drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good, but the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Later on in Jesus's teachings, he teaches that all who become his followers and become Christians are new creations. So everything that he is teaching is new and that it's being put into new people as they become new, as they become followers of him. The theme of this is consistent throughout all of the New Testament and throughout all of the teachings of Jesus and has been consistently understood for the last 2,000 years the beauty of these two very simple parables? If Jesus had just come out and said, no, my followers are doing something new, they don't have to fast, which is what, which is what promulgated these two parables, the question about the fasting. Jesus gave two stories that showed a much bigger picture in just a few dozen words. Jesus said, What I am doing is new. What you are hearing is new. What we are going to ask of you is new. There is an old, but what I'm giving you is new and what you will be doing is new and what we are gonna go forward and do is new. And we cannot blend the new with the old. We must start with the new and continue with the new. And he was telling us what our approach should be to following Christ, given the existing teachings, practices, and ideals of the day. We are to become new creatures, new beings, with new teachings, no matter our age, no matter how old we are, no matter our station in life, we are to become new. Because new wine is for new wineskins, and a new patch placed on an old garment only makes the tear worse. Very plainly stated, but in words that can be understood in a much larger, much greater meaning, even by the simplest people who are hearing his teachings.